morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with our requests, our personal requests. Lord, our requests as a body of believers. And Lord, we're so thankful for the work on the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that it means that we can come boldly with our requests. Thank you for the reminder in the song, Love So Amazing, Lord, that provides us fellowship with you, and Lord, the opportunity to bring these requests to you this morning. And Lord, as we think about the life uh, that your son sacrificed for us, we also think today of uh, Life Chain Sunday and the battle for life as it begins at conception and, and Lord, uh, our part in protecting life, our part in standing up in our desire to protect life. And Lord, we... uh, Thank you for the opportunity to do that today. Lord, we also, as we think about life and our country, we also want to think about our leaders, elections that will be coming up next month, and Lord, our responsibility to be part as citizens, but also our responsibility to pray for our leaders, um, both local, national, and worldwide. Lord, we also want to uh, lift up this morning our, our family, friends, brothers and sisters in the state of Florida. Lord, as they uh, recover uh, from the hurricane that uh, has hit many families, many communities. And Lord, uh, many lives lost, many lives devastated. And Lord, just uh, help us to be in prayer for them. And Lord, find ways that uh, we can be a part of of their recovery and their new lives um, after the hurricane. Lord, we also want to lift up those with health concerns. Lord, our list is many. Lord, our our bodies are frail and prone to fail. And Lord, uh, we know that you can be honored and glorified in the challenges that we face. Lord, both personally and in ones that we uh, love very much, who go through difficult situations. And Lord, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we lift up our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering with health needs. Lord, we do uh, thank you for um, Pastor Wick and Pat and, and bringing them to us to be our interim pastor. And Lord, we know that there's lots of work that needs to go on as uh, as we prepare ourselves for a new senior pastor, we just thank you that uh, Pastor Wick is here with us now and can lead us in that process. And, and also we thank you for how he accurately handles your word and teaches it to us. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be part of the message this morning. And Lord, it's in these many requests um, that we put before you, trusting in you and Again, thankful for the work of your son, Jesus Christ, that we can come boldly before you. And it's his name that we pray. Amen.
Well, good morning, church. That's, by the way, that's an expression I picked up in La Crosse, Wisconsin, at the neighborhood city church, uh, which is uh, sort of an African-American style church. And uh, when the pastor or somebody said, good morning, church, it was a lot louder than what you just did, but that's okay. Just be you. That's fine. I, I did discover there that if, if you want me to preach for a long time, just start saying amen. And uh, uh, there's one lady, uh, if you were getting, you know, the pressure was on and you were doing something convicted, she'd say very loudly, careful now, be careful now. <clears throat> but that's the kind of preaching we need to hear, isn't it? The kind of preaching that tells us, hmm, this is getting too close to home. So I hope this hits home today. We're in the book of Acts. Uh, before I get to this, uh, first a word from our sponsor, Interim Pastor Ministries. You have the report there, so that, that spells that out. And just a couple of things that are coming up this month in October that will help make this process work. I shared with the uh, church board on Thursday night, and, and I will continue to emphasize this. This is not a canned process that if we do this, this, and this, it's like one of those connect-the-dots pictures in the little kids' workbooks, and then we'll have, a, we'll have a new pastor when we're done. That's not how it works. Um, this is a spiritual process, and unless the Lord helps us, we're sunk. In other words, it's just like the rest of our whole spiritual life. And so we need to be in prayer. And uh, I just uh, in, encourage you to join in um, I challenged the, the, the board, handed out some material to them on Thursday night uh, for establishing some prayer triads, having three people praying together, uh, groups of three men, three women, uh, challenging the board members to recruit some men. Uh, there need to be some women recruited as well. Just as kind of an initial introduction. There's no necessary hard start time for that. The material is ready, but what it is is this, is there's, there are guidelines for 10 prayer sessions, and the goal is once the triad gets started to complete those 10 sessions over a period of 100 days, so not even weekly. And they're about one hour long sessions. But, but I've found that that's been very helpful. I, I picked this idea up at the IPM Summit, I think after the first interim that I'd done, and it's worked very, very well in a couple of places. It worked really well up in Kirkhoven, Minnesota. Um, in fact, I think this, the prayer triads have continued as a result of that. But it's just an opportunity to pray together. And I, I challenged the people up in Kirkhoven, and they did it pretty well. Don't, don't pick two people that you know real well in the church. Pick somebody, somebody you want to get to know a little bit better. And, and so have that fellowship built. So they did that. So that's one thing that's coming up. And you'll hear more about that. And even the people who are at the board meeting Thursday night are probably wondering, where did I put that, those sheets he gave me? Because it's at that point. It's early days. But a, a hard date, it's actually two hard dates coming up. October 16th, when we have our third, Thursday, our third, third Sunday uh, dinner, I will ask you to stay for about a half hour afterwards, and we'll simply celebrate. And uh, something like what we did in our Sunday school class today, just have a sheet of paper on each one of the tables and, and share uh, each around those tables the top 10 signs of spiritual health and strength in the past 12 months at Hastings Berean Bible Church. And then we'll share those as, uh, you know, 
After the groups have worked, we'll share those with everyone and, and we'll develop a top 10 list. That will become one of the documents that goes into the assessment report. Because we're not here to point out what's wrong. We're here to celebrate what God has been doing and will continue to do. So I want to start off with that note as sort of a corporate experience. And then beginning on October 23rd, we will introduce an all-church survey. So I have already ordered that up. It's an online survey that every one of you will be encouraged to take. Uh, the, the man who does it is an IPM pastor. He's developed this survey specifically for the IPM process. And it gives everybody a chance to have a say. And you can take it, if you've got a smartphone, you can take it on your smartphone computer. If you don't have either a smartphone or a computer, or if you're like me and you have a smartphone but you're a dumb operator, you can take it on paper and somebody else will enter the data in for you. And October 23rd will be our kickoff date for that survey and we'll have four weeks that'll be open. Well, actually, there'll be four Sundays, three, three full weeks, 21 days, that the uh, website that, that it goes to will be open for this congregation. This will generate for us a 21-page report. So that's pretty impressive. It's just the first time I've, I've had the opportunity to use this survey, so I'm, I'm very, very excited about it. I think it's going to be really positive. And then this gives everybody a say. Everybody who's, who wants to have input can have it. I know um, sometimes um, we can be a little threatened when we let everybody have their say, but that's what we're going to do. <laughs> And so may, may God bless that process. So those are two things that are happening here in October. And uh, in the next uh, week or so, I'll, I'll be uh, calling some people and putting together our transition team. That'll be nine or ten people. Uh, I think four of our elders have already agreed to serve on that. And the idea of that uh, team is basically to be the one that I report to, that I work with, to do all of the various things we do in assessment. So that'll, that'll be getting going. You may hear from me. The, the dreaded phone call may come. Uh, but we'll need uh, one meeting a month. And, that it's, and I really, I'm a believer in 90-minute meetings because that's at the point at which my aged attention span expires. So we try to keep the meetings within limits. But there will be other things that we'll be doing that will be coming up. Anyway, so now to the Word of God. Acts chapter 17 and verses 1 to 15. Please turn to that with me. I... I use the English Standard Version. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, of course, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? As was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, 
These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is where you get your name, the Berean Bible Church. Remember how I told you I found my name in Scripture because a smoldering wick he will not snuff out? Well, this is your, this is your verse. This is why you want to call, be called Bereans, because these were noble-minded people, and they received the word with eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Man, does this sound familiar? Professional agitators showed up in Berea. They weren't Bereans. They were from Thessalonica. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Thessalonica, let's go back to that for a minute. That's a tough town. You know, cities have a character. There are a number of cities in the United States that have a peculiarities that make them stand out. San Francisco would be one. Los Angeles really isn't one. Somebody said about Los Angeles, there's no there there. It's just a big, like one long strip mall, basically. But San Francisco has character. Boston has character. New York City has character. And Philadelphia has character. Man. You know about Philadelphia. I talked to you about it last week, the city of brotherly shove. Philadelphia is famous for the boo birds who do not cheer on their team. They boo. It's peculiar to be an athlete in Philadelphia. You know, up in Minnesota, I was, I've been a Vikings fan, and, and our team has lost four Super Bowls. Tied with Buffalo, by the way, for that record. Never won one. Been four times, 0 for 4. And I remember after the loss, the general feeling among Minnesotans was that somehow this was our fault, that we didn't deserve a winner. You feel that way? By the way, did Nebraska win yesterday? Yeah. The, the, the Gophers lost yeah. to Purdue. At any rate, and, and I know the feeling as a Gopher fan. Well, if only I were a more avid fan, maybe they would have won. The Philadelphia fans don't buy into that nonsense. When their team loses, they know who to blame. The guy's down on the field, and they let them know. They're good at booing. 
Uh, many years ago, Leonard Toes, the owner of the Eagles, hired a, a skydiver to come in on thanks, the Thanksgiving Day game. And he, he parachuted into the stadium, and there was a spot that he was supposed to land on, and he was dressed as Santa Claus, the start of the Christmas season. So Santa Claus is coming down on a parachute and guiding himself in, and he missed the spot on the field by a couple of hundred yards Way over on the edge, he made it, didn't get hurt. The crowd booed him. The Philly fans booed Santa Claus. Well, that's not the worst of it. Now, that's kind of amusing. This is really not amusing. One of the guys at Pilgrim Baptist where I served told me, he's in the old Connie Mack Stadium, which unfortunately, the first summer that I was in Philly in 1970 was the last summer that the Phillies played at the old Connie Mack Stadium on the north side of Philadelphia. That was one of those old stadium steel pillars, you know, and, and I think two or three piers that were, and you were close to the ball game. And apparently at some point in the middle of the game, there was a fan, a very a stout fellow, overweight guy that was coming down these steep steps, and he couldn't stop himself, and he came to the railing in an upper deck, and he went over the railing and landed flat on his back, boom, on the level below. And, laid there. and people saw this, and the whole stadium, this friend of mine was there, he said the whole stadium went quiet. And they're looking across the way, and they're seeing this guy laying there in just this hush, and he shook himself and stood up, and they booed him. <laughs> Charlie, who told me this, Charlie Edinger told me this, he said, the guy next to me said, I thought I was going to be able to tell my friends I saw some guy kill himself. Now that's hard, right? It's, it's funny in a way, but really it's not very funny to have people that have that kind of an attitude. And that, my friends, is Thessalonica. This is a tough town. This is a town that is prone to have mobs get active and to do bad things. This is an old city, by the way. It was founded in 315 years B.C., 300 in 15 years before Christ. It was founded and uh, named Thessalonica after Alexander the Great's half-sister and founded to memorialize a victory by the Macedonian army that had happened about 30 years previously. And it's always been a city, and it still is a city. It's considered a cultural center in Greece, and over the years it rose to greatness. At one point it was a rival to Constantinople during the Byzantine It's a big city today, a city of over a million people. It's a big city even in New Testament times, not that big, but for the era, it was a big and influential city. And it was at a crossroads, both, both east and west trading traffic and north and south trading traffic. It was the crossroads city. Big town and a tough town. And it's into this town that Paul went to preach. This is a town with a reputation for being tough long before we read about it in the New Testament. Cicero wrote about a regional governor that made a visit there and met with such hostility that he snuck out of town in the middle of the night and fled to Berea, which Cicero described as being off the beaten path. Thessalonica was on the beaten path. A very cosmopolitan city and a very, very tough town. They weren't even nice to their regional governor. 
Paul was successful in his ministry there, bringing people to Christ. The journey was about 100 miles south of Philippi. It's at this point, by the way, in the book of Acts that the we references end. Luke was writing in the first person, essentially, in chapter 16. So apparently Luke stayed behind in Philippi. As we read this, we learned in verses 2 and 3 that Paul preached in Thessalonica for three Sabbath days. But that means that does not mean that he was only there for three weeks. And we know that he was there much longer than that because he references in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, that he worked for a living and supported himself. Well, I'm sure he brought enough cash along with him to make it through three Sabbath days. But he had to go to work to support himself beyond that. So three Sundays, or three Sabbaths rather, excuse me, that's a Saturday, in the synagogue, and then moving beyond that and ministering someplace else. Twice while he was in Thessalonica, he received a financial gift from Philippi. That's referred to in Philippians 4.16. So he was being supported there, much like we support our missionaries today. And Paul gave to the Jews in Thessalonica evidence that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, that's an interesting way to put it because it's almost word for word what Jesus said to the two on the road to Emmaus in the 24th chapter of Luke, verses 26 and 27. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer and enter into his glory? This is the essence of the gospel message. The cross that Paul was preaching was a stumbling block to the Jews. They didn't want a Messiah who died, a Messiah who was weak and who knuckled under the Roman authorities and couldn't stand up and escape them or fight against them. They wanted earthly deliverance. They wanted an earthly kingdom, and they wanted to rule with a Messiah in that earthly kingdom. So the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews who wanted a triumphant Messiah and a kingdom on this earth. But nevertheless, some of the Jews believed, as did some of the Gentiles, because why? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Sometimes we forget that the greatest gospel tract in the world is the gospel the scriptures. And every once in a while, I'll run into somebody and I'll ask for their salvation testimony. And they'll say, well, somebody gave me a Bible, or I picked up a Gideon Bible in a hotel room, or I had this Bible from the time I was in grade school, but I'd never read it. And then I sat down and read it, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And as a preacher, I want to go, what? You didn't have anybody share the gospel with you? This is the gospel. The scriptures are the power of God unto salvation. From beginning to end, they tell the story of Jesus and God's salvation through the Christ. So this is what Paul was preaching there in Thessalonica. And some believed. They received the word we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God at work in you believers. Uh, this, again, let's stop and listen to this. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians. True. 
How did they receive the word as what it really is? This is how God talks to us, is through his word. And they received it as the truth. And that word was at work at, in, in them as believers. They put their trust in it. The word entered into their lives, and it worked in them. This reminds me of the fourth chapter of Hebrews and the, rever the reference to the word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword and able to divide between soul and spirit. It cuts into us, and it changes us, and it does surgery on us. I, I mentioned, uh, back in Sunday school time, I mentioned a couple of places. I do read the Bible a lot. Well, I don't read the Bible a lot because I'm a good person. I read the Bible a lot because I'm a bad person. And I want the Word of God to work in my life and to cleanse me and to direct me. And I want to hear from Jesus when I open the Word of God. I want to be like these Thessalonians who believed. And they believed and they received the Word for what it was. They were hearing from the Lord. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. To this one I will look. To the one who trembles at my word, Isaiah writes. We need to receive the word of God like that. What is the word saying to me that I need to hear? So that my response is like the black lady saying, be careful now. That's getting close to changing the way I think. No, I need to get beyond that getting close and let it change the way I think. Let it transform me and lift me up. We need to be like the Thessalonians, those believers. We know that beyond his ministry in the synagogue in Thessalonica that Paul ran uh, one more Gentile believers because he talks in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 about how they turned from idols to worship the living God. Well, that wasn't Jews who turned from idols. That was, that was Gentile believers in Thessalonica who did that. All right, so let's just apply this section right now to ourselves. When we share the gospel, when we preach the gospel, we need to preach Christ crucified and risen and coming again. Without the cross, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no reconciliation with God without the cross. And without the resurrection, there is no hope of eternal life. The whole gospel is Christ crucified and risen. Amen? This is what you believe. This is what we, we proclaim. And we must never stop doing that. There'll be a reaction to that. There will be a reaction. There always is a reaction to that. We receive the Word of God for what it really is. It changes our life, and it brings opposition. So let's... Look at what happens in verses 5 to 9. The jealousy of the Jews. What was going on there was that Paul was getting followers. He was influencing people, and they weren't having much of an influence. And that's not really that surprising. In the eyes of the pagans in Thessalonica, this was just another religion, kind of a weird cult and, and in fact, it was probably looked at as being somewhat atheistic because they didn't subscribe to and worship all the idols that the Greeks worshipped. 
So they looked down at them. They weren't an influential people. Here comes this preacher who's preaching a different message, and it changes lives. It's real. This isn't just another religion. This man is talking about how to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, how to deal with your inward brokenness, how to be at peace with God and with one another. And he was getting followers. The Jews were jealous. And so they struck out against Paul's preaching. Regardless of the following that he had, there were many who rejected it. The jealousy led to violence. Paul and Silas were accused of being the men who turned the world upside down, of going against the decrees of Caesar, of proclaiming a different king than Caesar, who, by the way, at that time was the emperor Claudius. He's the guy who was responsible for invading the island of Britain, bringing us back to those early days of British history. A different king, indeed. So how do we get some application out of this? Well, we shouldn't be surprised if when we preach the gospel there's opposition because this goes against what people want in their lives. They want to be their own king. They want to make up their own rules and live their own way. They don't want the authority of God. They don't want to hear from God. As, as Tony said this morning, people are running away from God in Sunday school, just like Adam and Eve did after the fall. They hid in the bushes. People don't want that, and yet there's an inner hunger for that. Isn't that ironic? Augustine wrote, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, speaking to God in prayer. Until we rest in God, we, we're hungry for something. We're missing something. If we proclaim the truth, some people are going to be very disturbed, and they're going to fight back against that, and they're going to try to shut us up. Don't be discouraged. If that's what happens, then you must be doing something right. If everybody's okay with everything we do, that's a problem. Beware when all men speak well of you. You must be not really hitting the edge. You know, one thing I never understood, if I may rant personally here, is, the, is this church growth movement that was seeker-friendly. So we had churches that didn't have a cross on them. When you walked in the sanctuary, you didn't see any evidence. There was no pulpit Bible. There was no cross up on the, on the wall. You have a cross behind there. But there were no Christian symbols because we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. When did that ever become the goal of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Be careful now. That's the goal of the gospel, is to disturb people. The goal of the gospel is to turn this wicked world upside down, isn't it? So if we're not ever raising any hackles on the part of worldly people, on the part of sinners, we're probably not preaching the gospel at all. We want to sugarcoat it. We want to reduce it. I saw a cartoon once, California church, was proclaiming the Ten Commandments light, L-I-T-E, Ten Commandments light. Pick two or three you're comfortable with. That seems to be the idea. Well, you know, you don't have to be so weirdo, you know, go all gangbusters on this stuff, you know. Do what's comfortable. Oh, no, no, you have to do what's uncomfortable. 
because you're a sinner, a depraved sinner, totally depraved sinner, and you're on your way to hell unless you turn around by the power of God and you turn your world right side up, you're sunk for eternity. So don't be surprised if in our church ministries we get people upset. We should be getting them upset. Don't let it stop you. Don't let it discourage you. Did I, I probably told this story. I have to tell the story again, though, because it's, it's such a good illustration of this. If I have told it already. This is kind of the deal with me. My uncle, Dale Martin, was in his 90s, and he started telling me something once. I was visiting him in the nursing home. He said, maybe I told you this before, but when you get old, that's kind of the deal. So this is kind of the deal. So, so uh, Riverview Baptist, we hired a, a, a youth guy that was going to be a shared guy with Young Life. Young Life's a youth ministry. Some of you have probably heard of it. He do. He started a high school club at Sibley High School, our nearby high school, and and then he would do youth group at the church, 50-50. And we paid 100% of his salary, so we were paying for Young Life minister. The week before he arrived, the new superintendent that was appointed for the West St. Paul District called for a meeting with the local pastors. So we met at the Cherokee Tavern, sat down for lunch, and she said, well, I'm sorry to have to tell you gentlemen this, but you are not permitted on school property any longer, nor are your youth pastors permitted on school property any longer. Separation of church and state means you cannot meet with any of your parishioners in the lunchroom or any place else in the school building. That is, it's been our case up till now. You've been welcome, but not any longer under my administration, we have separation of church and state, and you stay off of our property. I'm sorry to have to tell you that. So there was a lot of give and take there, but that was the rule, so we were told. So I had to tell the new guy as he came in, Jake, Jeff Jacobs, call him Jake. Jake, this is the story. He said, really? Now, Jake didn't have any Bible school training per se, but had some young life training, and he was a tool salesman, travels, traveling salesman. So he went over, he said, I'm going to go over to high school and meet with the principal. So he went over and he was gone for a couple hours and he came back with a key to the building. I said, how did you do that? He said, well, I sat down with the principal and I introduced him. I said, I'm here to start a high school ministry, high school club that will present the gospel to teenagers. So I'm not going to make any bones about it. That's why I'm here. I understand that there's a new policy. She said, yes, you're, you're really not allowed in this building to do anything like that. He said, well, I can operate outside the building. I'll have to figure out another way to do it. But let me ask you this, he said. What do you need from me? She said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm getting paid a full-time salary, and right now I don't really have anything on my plate at all to do, and I'd like to be around high school kids. What do you need from me? She said, well... To tell you the truth, I cannot get anybody to take sixth period study hall. Because if a teacher has sixth period free, they want to go home. He said, you got it. Now, I'll do that for you. She said, well, you have to do a background check, but you can do that. He said, what else do you need from me? Oh, she said, well, we don't have anybody to coach JV baseball. He said, I was shortstop on the state championship team when I was a senior in high school. I can coach baseball. I'll be your JV. She said, you got it. We'll pay you for that. And she gave him a key to the building. When you're a salesman, see, he was thinking like a salesman. You don't take no for an answer. You just keep asking questions until you get a yes, right? 
We need to be like that. I'm not that way, but Jake's a type A personality, but so was the Apostle Paul, and opposition did not really bother him. He loved it, as a matter of fact. The rougher it got, the better he liked it. Well, let's be like that. Let's think that way. If the world opposes us, good. We're doing it right, and then let's keep pressing until we get a yes, and the Lord Jesus is acknowledged. Preach Christ, crucified and risen. Expect opposition, and then keep on going. Authentic ministry is going to disrupt the world. And it is absolutely true, by the way. We proclaim King Jesus. He's not elected. He's not a politician. He isn't running for office. He's not interested in public opinion. He's the king before whom every knee shall bow. Right? That's who we serve, the king. Proclaim him. Now Paul moves on to your namesake, to Berea. Noble-minded believers, searching the scriptures. So I'm going to give you some application and we'll wind up with this. This is one. What do I do with this exactly? Of course we should search the scriptures. So good old Matthew Henry had a few points here on this that I think are wonderful. So I'll just, I'll share a little Matthew Henry with you. you one of the, when, when our, my assistant pastor at Riverview was working on his MDiv at seminary, one of his profs said, when you men use resources, you can do better than Matthew Henry. And I, when Joel told me that, I said, how exactly can you do better than Matthew Henry? Do you know that, that Whitfield, the great evangelist, George Whitfield, said that he read through Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible, which is huge. Today we have an abridged version. He read through it three times, the last time on his knees. I don't know how you could do better than Matthew Henry. Anyway, here's Matthew Henry on this passage here in Acts. The gospel can stand close scrutiny, is point number one. They searched the scriptures to see whether these things were so. If people want to challenge the gospel, if they want to investigate it, good, because it can stand close scrutiny. The more you look at it, the more compelling it becomes. Praise the Lord. If somebody is challenging you and wants to study it more to see whether it's really true because it's going to stand the test and they'll be convicted. With the New Testament, the New Covenant, we do it in the light of the Old Covenant because there is no contradiction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What were the Bereans doing as they investigated the gospel? They didn't have the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. They had the preaching of Paul. They didn't even have a letter from Paul. They didn't have the book of Revelation. They didn't have any of the New Testament. They were looking at the Old Testament scriptures. And by looking at them, what did they find out? They became convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. There's no contradiction between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. There is foreshadowing, there is prophecy, there is fulfillment in the New Covenant. So they're closely related. Plus, we want to read for examples of both good things and bad things that come through the lives of the saints of old and those who weren't saints, for that matter. So then we need to search the Scriptures. Number three, search the Scriptures deeply. 
And why are we searching the Scriptures? To find the mind of Christ. This is not like the Jews that Jesus spoke about, the Pharisees, who searched the Scriptures but refused to come to Jesus. And it's in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. This is not like those who are looking into the Bible for proof texts to reinforce their preconceptions or their selfish lusts. I heard a distressing story recently of a young man who's got his family torn to shreds by the fact that he's going through transition. He wants to be a young woman. And he grew up in the church, is a student of the Bible, and he's gone through and he's picked out scriptural arguments to defend his decision to become a girl. That's not what we're talking about here because he's not honestly searching the scriptures. He's not listening to what the whole counsel of God says. He's picking here and there certain things out of context. That's not what the Bereans did. They searched the scriptures deeply, listening for what the Holy Spirit really had to say, not to reinforce preconceptions or to give an excuse to fulfill their own selfish desires and lusts. And finally, fourth point, the Bereans are an example of people who did this daily. They searched the Scriptures daily. Bible study, Bible reading, devotional reading is a daily job. We need to fill our minds with noble thoughts and noble purposes and noble truths. Now, this chapter ends with more opposition. Those creeps from Thessalonica couldn't leave it alone. And by the way, this is a 100-mile trip to a place that's off the beaten path. They were so upset and no doubt driven by some demonic forces that they made that journey just to disrupt, disrupt things in Berea. Fortunately, Paul was able to leave some people behind and he moved on. So what happens when we meet opposition? What happens? At the, at the moment, it's never pleasant, of course. But what happens is every time Paul was per persecuted, he didn't give up, he moved on to the next city, and instead of the gospel being limited and shut down, it spread. The more opposition the gospel receives, the more it spreads out, the more authentic it appears to be in people's eyes as, the, as they realize these people really mean business. They're willing to suffer for their commitment to this King Jesus. We should not despair, but keep going, keep doing the Lord's work. Spread the gospel even in the face of persecution. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that this church is willing to take a stand on the gospel. That's been its history and even this afternoon some of us will be out taking a stand on the, the pro-life message of Scripture. We pray that you'd bless this time. May it be a witness that disturbs some people but causes them to question what's in their minds and hearts. We pray, Heavenly Father, for a gospel witness to come through what we do this afternoon. Lord, in all that we do, in our personal lives as we look at Scripture, help us to be listening for your voice, Lord Jesus, to be looking for what you have to say to us, to be those who tremble 
at your word because our lives aren't perfect yet. And there is a standard and then there is a truth and there is a power at work in your word. May it be work at work in our midst and in our community to turn our world right side up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.